Nowadays, introducing the original Blood Clad Podcast not PS. Sold in semantic. Special dedication all the way from New York. Boom! Yeah, man, SWOT semantic. Yeah, man, oh. Boom! Sold in semantic. Yeah, man, Big ups to the man, yeah. Sold in semantic. It is time, ladies and gentlemen. Have you guys have you been looking for luxury watches for quite some time or have contemplated doing so, but you don't really know who you can trust and where the best prices are? Look no further. Time for Luxury has got your back. Make sure to check out the site. Some of the watches they sell include Patek Philippe, Rolex, AP, Cartier, Hublot, Richard Mill, and many others as well. Make sure to check them out. You will be very, very glad you did. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Soothing Semantics. Make sure to subscribe, like, share, leave a comment. My podcast is on YouTube and all major audio platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and all. The... Uh, my Instagram is Rafi the Realtor. Make sure to check it out. If you need to buy or sell in South Florida, or you're looking to buy in South Florida from anywhere else, make sure to give me a ring. Evan is also a realtor, but you know, come to me. You know what I mean. So, <laughs> uh, so today we have a colleague of mine, a very funny guy, absolute character, another another Jew. I have a, I have a lot of Jews in my podcast, uh, which I guess tends to happen. Sorry so, to hear that. I know it's unfortunate. Can't can't leave any money lying around. So uh, great to have you, Evan. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me, Rocky. It's an absolute pleasure. So Evan has been in the real estate game for several years now. Uh, going on eleven. You have the floor. Tell us about your journey. Tell us how you got. You went from New York to Florida, from film to real estate. Sure. Give us a little sure. bit of your. Uh, so I worked in the film industry uh, about sixteen years. I, uh, everything from a grip to a production coordinator on commercials and features came down here in, uh, moved from, uh, Manhattan to, uh, South Florida accidentally. I came to visit my sister, uh, on a vacation. I was a little burned out in the film industry. It was around 2001 and 9-11 happened. So there was no film industry and, uh, to go back to for a year. And I, uh, met a lovely lady and got a job, neither of which I have. I don't have that job nor that lady. And uh, soon thereafter, I got introduced to real estate. Okay. And now, what what kind of, what was your experience in the early stages of real estate? You know, I ended up oh, working... Wait, well, real quick, real quick. Let's uh-huh. backtrack a bit. Sure. Tell us more about what you did in film. Oh, I I, uh, I was a production, sort of like everyone else, as a production assistant. Then I moved on to becoming a production coordinator. I worked on uh, over 2,000 national commercials. Did a lot of tabletop photography, and I worked on 22 features, and I was the animation coordinator on Joe's apartment. So when you decided to switch to real estate, what was that like in the beginning? What was your? Did you have a really hard time your first year, like a lot of other agents? Didn't plan on being a realtor. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was looking for work. Uh, my brother-in-law had a client of his. Uh, my brother-in-law is an attorney, and uh, like everyone else in my family. And I was introduced to a broker who uh, said, when he come work for me? So I was his assistant, and he did mostly rentals. Uh, I worked for a company called Renter's Paradise, probably the, you know, the chop shop of, of, of rentals. And uh, I did about 20 rentals a month, and I did that for three years. 
Wow. It was brutal. I worked six days a week, just showing rentals all day. Uh, so you were mostly on the tenant side? Yeah, mostly on tenant and, and some landlord, you know, because the, the broker himself owned 54 buildings at that time. Wow. So I did represent him on many. Okay. So at least you had that in, you know, because he had all those. Right, right. Rentals are a bitch, dude. Well, today they're, they're almost impossible. There's nothing out there. Yeah. Back then, and I'm talking, you know, 10, 11 years ago, it was a much easier racket to, to do rentals. You know what it is, though? It's also the skill involved. Like, don't get me wrong, man. If, if there's an easy, easy transaction, I'm not going to be this macho guy right now and say, oh, well, I only want it if it's challenging. It's that if it's going to be easier, uh, I'm sorry, if it's going to be as practically as difficult as a sale in terms of work, you know, when you have a when you're on the tenant side of a rental, right. you're making squat money and you're sitting there, you're driving around from property to property to property to property. Right. And it's like you know you're getting a six hundred dollar check, you know, on these average size rentals or whatever it is, eight hundred, maybe twelve hundred, but you know, in that range. And I don't like this rental because it has this and I don't like this because it has that. And it's like why? So I mean if you have a ton of them, it could be worth it in New York people tend to do rentals a lot more. Sure. It's a totally different ball game in New York. Rents are incredibly high and the competition is fierce. So you can actually make a living. You know, I was making what? 60, $70,000 a year, just doing rentals, getting 50% commission. Again, I was averaging 22 rentals a month, which is insane. So hold on. So you did 22 rentals a month and only made $70,000. Correct. Because I was only getting 50% commission. With That's this fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. It was horrible. I needed a job, but I, I will say this. I really learned the, the ins and outs of the rental industry. I learned a lot of properties. I learned a lot of buildings, uh-huh. which, you know, I'm grateful for today. Okay. So um, what's, what's crazy, what comes to mind right away is you can make 70000 on one sales transaction. So, you mean, you, but you sweat an entire year with all these rentals when you can make that in one transaction. Right. I, you know, when I started, I didn't even have a license, but back then it was easier to be a broker's assistant showing property, especially if he was the owner of the building. Why didn't you get the license? You just didn't, didn't think to do it. Uh, he pushed me to get it, you know, wasn't something you wanted to do. So you just kind of fell into it and I fell into it. Correct. Correct. Right. Okay. So then from rentals, what transition, how did you kind of transition? I, I went to another brokerage. And uh, that didn't really pan out. I was still doing rentals, but now I didn't have all the uh, walk-in traffic that the first place had. And I finally got to do my first sale. It was a, a friend of mine who is a, uh, she is a lender, and she got me a client, and I found them a place. And uh, it was funny because it, it was, he had all cash and no job. And we had to figure out where his money came from. Of course, we didn't ask. She did what she had to do and, and, and appropriated the funds correctly. And we were able to close on that transaction. And uh, I got my first taste of the first sale. And from there, I went on to another brokerage where I started to really learn what it was like to, to truly be a realtor. Mm-hmm. You know, well, which company was it? I went over to Optimore International Realty based okay. out of Sunny Isles. And I learned a lot. And, and it was the first time, you know, they, they approached me about prospecting, how to get clients. Um, and then obviously walked me through how to do a transaction from contract to close. Okay. You got started, you were in Optimar. How did that go? Like how did, how long were you there and how so, did the So, you know, I was at Optimar for about five years. And the hardest thing being a realtor is when or where are you getting your next paycheck? And that, that's really what it is. Mm-hmm. And 
thankfully, because I had some rental history, I had some old tenants that became buyers. Mm -hmm. And that's really how I started. But I would watch people in the office, you know, making money hand over fest. And, and I was barely getting by, you know, until I, I finally met a few decent people that became great clients. And I learned to really work them and ask them for referrals. And that's when I started to get a little better. And my, my best year at Optimar was, you know, a little over 100000 I think it was about $114,000, you know. Soon thereafter, the, the office manager, Christina Lopez, great woman, she taught me a lot, introduced me to a gentleman named Jose Anzolo. Uh, actually, that's not how I met. How I met was somebody in my office told Jose to call me because he needed a Supra lockbox key. Mm -hmm. Back then, it was a separate device, looked a lot like a garage clicker. So I get this call from this guy, Jose, and he comes and he I said, sure, you can borrow it. Comes and picks up the Supra. Did he kind of flip his hair back when he first he made did. it? He did. He did. You know, he's, he always flipped his hair back. Yeah, know? he just, he kind of walks in and there's, there's a, I feel like naturally the wind blows as he walks by and he goes, hello. He goes, hola. Hola, Evan. Jose Anzola. Anzola. Very um, sexy guy. Um, he, he's a very good looking guy. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like 6'3", 250 pounds of muscle. Exactly. Always he's working gonna, He's going to love this. No, but um, uh, Evan. <laughs> You're making him sound uh, Mexican like... now. He's from Venezuela. But he does. He goes, um, <laughs> Fine line between Venezuela it's and Mexico. E-H-M. So we say, um. You and I, were Americans. We say, U-M, um. He goes, um. You ever exactly. notice Um. Back to the story. So yeah. I give him the Supra. I find out he's, he's a realtor, obviously, because he's borrowing a Supra. And I said, why don't you come over to Optimar? And, uh, and we can teach you a little bit more than what you're learning with a, a broker that you're working for. So he agreed to come visit, and he liked the setup, and he ended up joining Optimar. It was soon thereafter that the office manager, Christina, said to us, you two should work together. And I said, okay, what do you mean? Why don't you guys start prospecting together? Now, I had dabbled with um, prospecting by telephone, you know, studying the Mike Ferry scripts and taking some of the Mike Ferry seminars. And I remember one day we decided, fine, let's give it a shot. Mm -hmm. And we agreed to meet on a Monday at 7.30 a.m. to role play and at 8 o'clock to get on the phones and start calling. And that's how our partnership, the Anzola Phi Group, started. Doesn't and, bother you that it's not the Phi Gonzola Group? Absolutely not. You know, I'm the older one, so I, I have to be the second, you know. Okay. And a much harder name to pronounce also, Phi. It is, it is tough. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been Feig and Anzola. It just wouldn't have been the same. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of sounds like a swedish person like oh i have some dates and figs for you yes yes, <laughs> yes. hello welcome to fjord's bakery would you like a hot piece of pee it's on the hoose what oh no you're covered in my hot pee you can wash yourself off in the way to close it and that's where it started and, and today we do very well I, I see that you guys, you guys are doing well. I still haven't gotten the Bentley that you guys promised me, but uh, you know that's neither well, here nor you're there. Not there yet, you know. I don't know what else. You have, I have to pay to do. a few more dues. We'll have to talk about that after this. Oh, okay, that sounds inappropriate. <laughs> um, <laughs> but that's one of your favorite things, inappropriate. That's true. That's true. But you see, you're being a lot more kosher than you. Just to have you know, guys, and anyone who works in our office knows he's keeping things very kosher because he's, you know, he wants to keep his reputation and yeah. exactly. Yeah, the kosher Evan's not nearly as fun, but listen, whatever. At least I get to to, to have that conversation off of the podcast. Um, 
so as so you joined you joined up with with Jose what made you go from Optima to KW so you know you, you really you've been bouncing around man like you've I been was at a bunch I, of I was at what three three brokerages four brokerages oh and, and real quick hold the thought because you mentioned Mike Ferry and I, mm-hmm. I got to ask whenever someone mentions him doesn't it kind of make you wonder how somebody that was barely a salesman a real estate you know barely a realtor was able to build such a massive coaching business meaning like why why do people give him so much credit when he's never really been in the in the trenches it's just hard for so me to understand so he started in the trenches if you, for how long how long did he do it i actually don't know the answer so no one seems to know speak. everyone seems to say it was like 2 years or something no it was more than 2 years he he was a realtor for a good several years back in california okay and he did well was he a yeah he high he did agent? he did very well but what he realized that that you need a system you need mm-hmm. a format to follow, to be able to repeat the same procedure day in, day out mm-hmm. to get certain results. So I don't think he's a master of anything. I think he was a master and he was the first to really take and create a system. And let's be honest. He was he's the not, first one to do so? For real estate. If you look at his pitches that he uses, his scripts, they're no different than the old oil schemes and the oil guys and the commodity brokers. It's a sales script, and that's really all it is. Mm-hmm. And it touches on what's the person on the other end of, their, of the phone, their motivation. Once you know motivation, you have an idea where to go with that 100%. conversation. And that's the key. 100%. And that's really all he did is he canned it, and he was smart enough to sell it. And soon thereafter, you have many other systems. And all of the big ones, whether it's Aaron Novello or um, uh, Jeff Glover, they all studied under Mike Ferry at one point, which is interesting. It is weird. Um, that's why <laughs> at the end of the day, I have, I'm very, I can be extremely stubborn. And I think that's a good thing in, in many respects because that's what you need to be in order to become a business owner. But there's also the idea of, there's a level of stubbornness, which is good, and then it becomes, you know, uncoachable. So, uh, so yeah, in terms of scripts, I mean, there's all these different coaches, and they say all these different things. I mean, Mike Ferry seems to say, don't focus on, on relationships as much. Just focus on getting the deal done. Right. Otherwise, you're wasting your time. I really didn't like how that sounded. I hear where he's coming from. I hear the cutthroat part of it where it's like, at the end of the day, when, when, we, all, when we cut the grass, the reality is we want to make a paycheck. At the same time, though... There's a guy, Ricky Carruth. He's based in Alabama. I had him on my podcast. He has his own coaching. He's a big Instagram following of like 230,000. I didn't realize they sold real estate in Alabama, but keep going. Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? I think they'd sell a cow or two, and that's the end of it. A ranch. But very intelligent guy. Does very, very well. Obviously, the prices are lower there. But he completely, he made a YouTube video arguing this point. And he said, listen, at the end of the day, I don't see any of this relationship building as a waste of time because if you do well by somebody, even if they don't give you their business now, they might never give it to you. But if they like you and they really feel like you you have their best interest at heart, even if you, of course, want to make that money, but you genuinely want to help them and be of service, you're going to end up with so much more business down the line. And at the end of the day, I, I choose to believe that way. And I, I, I am new. I am a newer I, realtor. I agree but, with you 100%. Yeah. I, I don't think you know it, it's important to understand when – you're sitting talking to a client for three hours when you have other shit you need to take care of. Okay, there's a time where you need to, in a sense, put your foot down and say, hey, listen, I'd love to talk. I love hanging out. It's, you know, we're friends. But, you know, there's, there's a, there always has to be a middle ground to certain things. Look, there's 70,000 licensed realtors in South Florida. And at the end of the day, 
what, 80% of them have no idea what they're doing when it comes to real estate, Without real estate transactions, but it's who they know, not what they know. It is all about relationships. There is no question. John Dietz preaches that, that more deals come from the follow-up than the initial phone so call. What? So when Mike Ferry says it, doesn't that kind of fuck with you? Because not, Mike... not at all, because there's many legs to get clients from or, or to get leads that develop into clients, right? So one way is cold calling, expireds, canceled leads, uh, canceled listings, or for sale by owners. So you don't know these people. So how do you start a conversation? That's what a Mike Ferry script is used for. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't use the Mike Ferry script anymore. I have softened my introduction because I am calling out of courtesy. It's a courtesy call. Yes, don't get me wrong. I would love to get a listing out of it. But when I see a great house or any property for that matter that expired, well, something didn't go right. Mm -hmm. It's either overpriced, wasn't marketed right, you know. So I would like to genuinely find out if they're still interested in selling and if they ever were interested in selling, how can I be of service to help them? And unlike some realtors, I am brutally honest. I don't get a thousand listings as a result because I tell them this is where your property is going to fall in this marketplace. Mm -hmm. Now this is an interesting market though. So my partner and I have recently realized that even our best judgment based on comparables, you got to step back for a minute because you may be surprised things are selling much higher than anyone anticipated. It's wild. So that's what kind of, that's what kind of confuses me because on one hand you do the comps and you determine that the price is, that they want is too high, but then they might actually get that price. Right know? now, yes. And so that's it's... because supply demand. There is no supply out there. Yeah. I mean, they need they need to build more, which they're doing. They're doing a lot of condos. I don't know if they're doing enough single family. That seems to be a, a tough one. But they're building a lot of developments. Um, you know, I'm sure they'll they'll figure out a way to meet the demand. But uh, I mean, in terms of in terms of lead generation, I totally agree. It's who you know because. You'll have these realtors, and uh, if they know how to how to build a proper Instagram page, they're just tech savvy enough. Especially if they're very good looking. And let's be real here: if you're a very good looking woman, you have more to work with than if you're a very good looking guy, because there's more there's more to that. I think we can all understand what I mean. So, you'll have this gorgeous realtor, this gorgeous female realtor. She maybe is in the business for a year, and I mean a lot of it is show you'll look at an Instagram and a lot of it is just posting other people's listings or right. she's just posting random condos in Miami, you know, trying to make it as if it's hers. But all she's got to do is meet a couple of people who are affluent. She doesn't have to know squat about lead generation because she probably hasn't been rejected much in her life. So she, I don't think she's exactly trying to go down that route of lead gen, which is rejection central, but she gets enough, you know, she gets enough referrals. She may get, 10, 12 closings a year. A couple of them are over a mil. So maybe she makes 200K. Probably she, blows she a lot. She does well. You know? She does well. So she does, yeah. she does well enough where she doesn't really care to, to grind it out, roll through the mud like we have to. Right. But, um, and this is something that I genuinely, genuinely believe. I'm curious to hear if, well, if anyone... Well, South Florida specifically, you get a lot of foreign Very nationals. Sure. And a lot yeah. of foreign national women, like remember when I worked at Optimar, they're from Argent, a lot of them from Argentina. So they had all these connections with people still in Argentina looking to park money here. And they would do deal after deal all over a million dollars and do incredibly well. You know, you and I, we have to grind on a daily basis. I'm not that hot 
beautiful woman. I'm not from Argentina. I'm from Brooklyn. Yeah, man. You know, I've been down here 20 years. So I grind every day looking to really help people. And, and as a result, you know, it, it's taken some time. But again, my partner and I have built up a pretty good business. We've done over 18 million this year, year to date. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and now we're starting to really get referrals from our past clients. And that's something Keller Williams preaches all the time. Relationship building, go for the referrals. And I never used to do that. And now I'm first starting to do that. Well, when you say you didn't do that, don't, don't you have such a good relationship with them that they want to refer you? You have, you go out of your way to ask for the referral. You know, they, they don't. I, re I remember when I was, I think 17, I, I, I'm, you know, smoking a lot of pot, living in my parents' basement, complaining about that. I didn't have a girlfriend. And my father said, you know, they're not going to come knocking at your door, go out, go to a party. Go hang out with some friends. Go meet people. Look at us. Best friends offering to help each other. You know, we always have to remember this moment. <laughs> Upstairs. Now. It's the same thing in real estate, you know, waiting for your past client to call you is not going to happen most likely. So you, so how do you work out a structure where you call your past clients? So, so now if, if you follow some of the things taught at Keller Williams every week, you should be calling and there are different systems, but certain letters of the alphabet, calling your past clients, right. checking in with them, saying hello, asking for the referral, you know, the number one thing that many people don't do is ask, ask for the 100%. sale, ask for the referral. You know, that's the key, you know, on In general, any sales such a golden transaction, rule, you should be asking in a listing appointment, no less than three times for that listing. That's in sales. One one though, you should, you know, ask for the sale at least three times, if not more like five. Most people do not want to be put themselves in that position. It's crazy though. When you, I've, I just see this even on a smaller scale because I haven't built my business. You know, I'm still very new. But even in terms of either real estate or podcasting, you know, when you ask, you're a hundred more, a hundred times more likely to get. People don't want to be that person. They don't want to push the envelope. You know, they don't want to do that. They don't want to well, rock not the boat. Salespeople. Hundred percent. So the average realtor, I, I'm not even sure what realtor means. To me, it sounds like a monkey with a key. They're order takers. Right. And that's the reality. And I even find myself that way recently. If I have to represent a buyer, I'm almost like an order taker. I want to see this. I want to see this. You know, when they find it on Zillow, there's not much inventory. And then when it comes to putting in an offer in this market, unless that property is so incredibly, incredibly overpriced, you're putting in full price offer, sometimes above, you're waiving appraisal, you know. So there's not much thinking going on. Well, that's you know? why that's more why I prefer more, working on the listing side. There's not. A, it's not even a matter of preference. You should be working on the listing side regardless of the market, as much as you can. That's why I'm I'm such a big fan of Aaron's coaching. Shout out to you, brother. Is because at the end of the day, if you're a, a strong listing agent and you're always calling and always lead generating, you're gonna be able to to get kind of get over that, that wave of, of tough market conditions, whether it's a Agreed. buyer's market, a seller's market. And, and Ricky Carruth, you know, the other coach says this as well. He said, 
don't get so focused on this market and that market. Be focused on continuing to do what you need to do. And if the market gets a little tougher, then double down on your calls. Double down on your That's legion. It. You That's just it. have to just grind it out at the end of the day. Neither of us have these connections. I sure as hell don't. Thank God I've right. built. I've met tons of people. I, I actively network. But in terms of nobody in my family sending me any wealthy clients, it's all people that I've met over the years. Um, and, and it's tough, but it, and it's, it's, it is really hard as a human. I, I can be envious sometimes, and I, I guess I, I can call it jealousy where, you know, you'll have this kid who just popped into real estate, got his license, and his dad, you know, has a friend, or even his the best is like, oh, yeah, I just got a listing. Who's the, oh, it's my dad's property, $5 million. It's like, right. On Golden it's not Beach. a listing. Like it's not a listing. It's your fucking like it's your dad. Of course he gave it to you because whatever. Like okay, you know. And if you don't sell it, he'll still give you another opportunity. Or uh, <laughs> oh, I sold. Oh well, I uh, had a buyer, a six million dollar buyer. It's like oh, how'd you get the buyer? Oh well, uh, you know, my friend's uncle, whatever. It's like you know that stuff doesn't bother me. But, it, but, but it's but, where they end up. Everybody needs a chance to start, and and good for them. I wish I, I, I was shouldn't. That guy that I had shouldn't that be so salty about it because at the end of the day. Everyone's got their own deck of cards, but the reality, bro, I think is most of us. Like when, you, when you're making call after call after right. call and some dude just walks along, walks on by and just has this massive – and it, the truth is it, it doesn't happen that often. It's not something that – or at least I don't see it happening all the time. It definitely does. Um, but I, before you say anything, I still think that in the long run, if you do things the, the harder way, meaning if, say, you follow Aaron Novello's way of doing things where he's – He's not relying on some relative with a ton of money to give him things. He's doing things the way it should be done. Even if this kid with connections might get a couple of massive deals, he's probably closing six transactions a year, maybe 10 or 12, and not— Again, it goes down to when, where is my next paycheck? Where is it going to come from? That mm -hmm. kid does not know. But if you get on a phone every day and you dial XYZ numbers— and you agree that you're not going to leave that phone until you have 20 to 25 conversations every single day on a phone. It's a numbers game. You will get a certain amount of appointments in that week. And out of those certain amount of appointments in the week, how many of those are going to turn into a listing? Well, you know, that's all about practice, role play, you know, get your scripts down. And you will outscript that kid if you go up against him ultimately at that multi-million dollar home. But it is a numbers game. So at least you will have a consistent paycheck if you do this the right way. Without a doubt. It's, that's the funny thing, though. In any market, it doesn't matter. Yeah. If you were to go up against a lot of these luxury agents who you know had money connections and things like that, if you went up script practice-wise, we'd tear them in half. Right. But it's just a matter of they're the ones who, who are put in that position. Right. So the reality is, yeah, I mean, I shouldn't I, – I, I focus on just not caring because it's stupid to be – to think that way it's just a waste of time yet you're very stressed out right now Rafi. I, I see it you're all stressed <laughs> <over> <laughs> but dude yeah i mean listen I, I i think i speak for a lot of people i think a lot of people are gonna be like no of course not i'm just focused on me like i i think to a degree it's human nature it's it's tough right. you know it's it's um I'm, I'm i sit here and do the work I, I genuinely don't put it as a focus very very rarely do i do that but yeah it comes to mind once in a while you know it comes definitely does you know, look, it's not easy getting on a phone every day. It really isn't. Yeah. And, and getting yelled at and hung up on and cursed at. And then you get the one and that's the one you were going for. Remember, you can't, you know, help someone who doesn't want to be helped. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the unfortunate thing. There's a lot of homes out there that haven't sold that could easily sell 
you know, you got to come in with contribution. A lot of realtors are telling the people what they want to hear, but not the truth of what needs to be told of how to sell this home, what it's going to take to sell this home, you know? Without a doubt. Repeat it, repeat it again. What, <laughs> what do you like about Keller Williams? We, so, we were having this off, off mic and I had to yeah, put this, it back this on. This is absolutely off mic. So, you know. Mike's not here. The mic is not here. Make believe the mic's not here. There is no, no mic. Okay. So who is, do you know Mike? I don't know. Mike. I know Mike. So Keller Williams is, is they, you know, everybody's like, oh, the, you drink the punch and it's this cultural thing and it's a cult. And you know what? I, I'm not that fucking guy. I hate cults. I hate the culture. I hate all that shit. Yet, after being there two years, I start repeating some of the shit I'm learning there, which is really wild because at the end of the day, they really push an atmosphere of helping each other. And yet, look, there's going to be a scumbag in every office. That's part of life. And there's, I'm that guy. Um, there's probably one or two in there that are not my favorite. And that's okay. But yeah, really, there are. You don't, don't say names. but you There's can't. a few. Interesting. Really? Yes. With that said, overall, they really, really push the educational side and to really help you understand. But more importantly than real estate, because that's the easy part, learning how to do a transaction. That's easy. That's going to happen from doing the job. Every transaction, there's always something new that comes up. I don't care what, what it is. You will always find something new every transaction. Some more exciting than others, like polybutylene piping. Yeah, that's fun and thrilling the first time. But you learn about people and, and title and, and issues and violations and all those things. What you don't learn in the rest of the world and all the other brokerages is how to run a business. How do you get clients? How do you nurture the client? I noticed this. I noticed this from just having friends in different companies. There's two things that they focus on, uh, primarily from what I see. It's the reputation of the brokerage in terms of what kind of vibe they give off, meaning like element is luxury or compass <coughs> is luxury, or they have, or their thing is what the what's the split. And I feel like with Keller Williams, there's some guys that they don't feel it's maybe posh enough or cool enough or chic enough. Um, and then they have this other notion of, like you said, with the with the 70 versus 90. So real quick, big, big thing that I just want to knock into some people's heads. This whole 70, 80, 90 is complete semantics, soothing semantics. It's nonsense. It doesn't matter if you get 90 over 70. Sure. But if you're getting, uh, that sounds a lot like you. You always do. You go, sure. A hundred. If you make a million dollars in commissions, he's, he's, dying, he's dying to say something. A hundred, a million dollars in commissions. If you have a 90-10 split, which most companies offer, you have to give $100,000 of your commission. If you're at Keller Williams, at least in our office, once you give 25000 that's the end of the story. So if you make a million in commissions, you give twenty five k, and that's the end of it. it it's less and than twenty five for well, me because I'm, you, I'm, you're on I'm a, in a team. Hopefully so, they'll lower it anyhow. Hello. Right. Correct. You know, you, you mentioned yeah, luxury. Right? At the end of the day, my business model, I'm a transaction-based model. I don't care if it's a $100,000 condo or a $5 million house. doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I'm going to treat it the same because with the changing markets up and down, sometimes luxury is doing well. Sometimes it's not. Mm -hmm. I cover everything. Volume is, volume is ultimately, key. yeah. Volume is, I think what's always going to be the and most And it becomes exponential because from more transactions, you potentially get more referrals right. and meet more people. My, my favorite is, is Douglas Elliman because they, you know, they're the high end luxury. I've gotten more expired listings that I got as listings and sold and closed from Douglas Elliman than any other brokerage. 
because they pride themselves on this luxury, yet not at any time would they go over and go over absorption rates with people mm-hmm. or show them that they're out of their fucking minds asking for a price when nothing has gotten even close to that in the past 10 years. Yet they're order takers. I go in and show them the facts, show them the true comps, show them what's selling. Push the envelope. That's fine. But you have to do within reason. I'm sure there are element agents that are very good at what they do. There are some um, that are excellent. There definitely are. I mean, there's that Dina Goldenterre, uh, madam. She's killing it. And she doesn't just sell luxury property. She right. sells many. But mm-hmm. she's an anomaly. Very few like her. There's a lot of, there are plenty of luxury agents in Miami, but very few of them are selling high volume and high, high amounts. Right. She's just something else, man. Um, but very, yeah, very few people are like that. And the thing that's tough about luxury is it's, I don't know if it's necessarily difficult to, I'm not going to say it's not difficult to sell because there's a much smaller pool. You know, you're selling a $30 million house, very, very small percentage of the, of the world can afford these properties. But if you have the right, if you've built, if you've been in the business for long enough, if you've built a large pool of buyers and sellers, then, and you know, a lot of other agents, that's a different business model. And, and, and in many ways, maybe I'm envious. I, I think it'd be great if I can get away with selling five to seven properties a year and make the money I want to make good. That's great. That's just not how my business model is, was established. You also aren't exactly in that position. You know, you're not exactly in the position to, to choose. Let's be real. Right. You're I don't not have getting that. 30 so I'm not in that circle. Because if you were, I think you'd be full of shit if you said, well, I'd rather not take the $30 million house. I'd rather just stick with my 200K property. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? I, I think that the reality is if you had it, you'd, you'd do it. Um, we're getting I, there, though. I, I would. I mean, we, we, we're, we've hit the $2 million mark. We're not quite at $30 million. You know, we're on our way. But yeah, it does. It, 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 it does. Yeah, it, it, it does compound because when you get you meet someone who has a two million dollar house, they may very well know somebody with a five million, you know, because wealthy people tend to know even wealthier people and that kind of. Right. But, um, you know, so I'm, I'm working on that myself, but it's it, it's definitely tough. I appreciate you coming on. This was a good episode. I uh, I look forward to the, I, I should I just need to have a, a somewhere where I can get. It was nice. You let go a little bit, but still. Just letting you know, guys. He, you know, he's a gr- he's an excellent realtor. He's a great guy. There is a different side to him, which is a different side to everybody. But he's just a lot less filtered off camera, understandably so. But um, maybe at some point we'll get him to. You know, yeah. it is what it is. So uh, appreciate the opportunity, dude. I really thank you for coming, and you you shared a lot of good nuggets. I hope people really got a lot of value from what you discussed. Follow a system. That that's really what it comes to. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah cause, cause like anything, I think because it's, it's a sales business I'm and there's no, it. hang on. Ah, client sending me Zell. <laughs> it says, send me Zell. What does that mean? Send me Zell. Zell for what? Well, I laid out money for my client to, for a cleaning person. Oh, for, okay. for, yeah. So he's, Send me Zell. I'm not sure if he means he's sending me Zell no, or no. Meaning he's saying I think he's saying Zell him, Zell him money. He's also a Jewish guy. So send me Zell. I mean that can mean something else. Ah, <laughs> send not... me the Zell. <laughs> we'll go to Katz's delicatessen. What is Zell? We'll go to Katz's delicatessen. You send me Zell. Send me Zell. Ah, well pickles and pastrami sandwiches. Send me Zell. Now that's something we should do in this episode. You know you can have Katz's ordered and delivered. They ship it overnight. Really? Yes. Interesting. So if you would have told me that, maybe I would have known. We could have done, because it should be the podcast around the table eating pastrami. That's what we should be doing. That is how to get me to speak. You want me open up and be who I really am? We have to do, you know, 
Katz's Delicatessen, pastrami, pickles, maybe a knish, Dr. Brown's cream soda. That works too. If I would have known, I would have been, been done. Dude, I would have loved to do that. It would have been great. That would have been a much better episode. That's why I think that's part of our spiel, by the way. Even though like, it's not like you and I hang out all the time outside of work, but it's that kind of New York Jewish right. thing that we have. It's, it, it's, it's the that. fact that we don't judge people, although we do. Uh, I, I definitely <laughs> do. I do it. Everyone judges. Let's let's be in a non-judgmental way. Right, of course, but of course, just saying. I get at the end of the day, I'll notice things right away. I'm very, I'm very quick to just think things, and everyone does that. Everybody does that. But at the same time, I might not. I might be very choosy at this point in my life with who I like to spend my time with. Right, I'm still accepting of people. Like, I'll be, I'll be cool with people. I'll give people the time of day. People will ask me, like people who know me, they're like, "Why do you sit there and have some long conversation with this person?" I don't know, because it's also a learning lesson. You can learn anything from anybody. I agree. So, um, yeah, I just... Uh, you got to peel away the, the layers. You know, when people absolutely. finally open up, you learn a lot more. There's a lot more to people than meets the eye, in 100%. all cases. I wish you peeled back a little more today, but no matter, no matter. We could redo this. No, we could, we could. It was good, it was good. You, it, was, it was a nice episode. So, ladies and gents, I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope you got a lot out of it. Evan, thanks again for coming. Thanks. It was a pleasure. Yep. And make sure to... Uh, check out again make sure to like uh, subscribe like and share yeah, check out my Instagram page you can also contact Evan there's plenty of business for everybody and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys or not seeing you guys but I look forward to you guys seeing me soon